Welcome to Paralyzed Nation. This is Israel's fifth election in less than four years. But what are these elections actually about? Join us as we drill down on hard-to-answer questions in this limited podcast series that is exclusively for our Times of Israel community. Welcome to Paralyzed Nation. Israel will be going back to the voting booth. Back to the voting booth. Back to... Hello, this is Amanda Borshel Dan. I'm here with our senior analyst, Chaviv Retegur, for a series of conversations about core issues. Today, we're going to talk about how to decisively win an Israeli election. Chaviv, thank you so much for joining me on this journey into paralyzed nation. So are you a gambling man? What makes you think that you know how to win an Israeli election? <laughs> you know, the old adage, if you can't do, teach. And if you can't teach, become a journalist and write about it. Um, <laughs> I, ha- I have uh, never uh, run uh, for election. So what I want to uh, suggest here today is not that I know how to win an election, but predictions, by the way, are a fool's errand. I, I, don't e- I also don't want to suggest I know who will win the election, but um, that if you follow closely the strategies of the main frontrunners, Netanyahu obviously out ahead, then Lapid, and then Benny Gantz, that just understanding the path that they see uh, to victory will tell us a great deal about how the system works, how you actually win an election, not in the sense of you become the biggest party on election day, but this is a coalition system, and so you actually have to have a, a camp, uh, enough enough potential supporting partners for your coalition to win. It's not just about the size of your party. So that's what I want to suggest today, that we can learn from them a lot about how you can win. Okay, obviously, we should begin with the master strategist himself, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Where has he recently gone wrong? Obviously, after four failed races in which he did not, you know, win an election outright and form a stable government, uh, it's fair to say that something has gone terribly wrong. Netanyahu, I think, understands that, and not only understands that, but we see in his campaign that he's really, really thought very deeply and seriously about the failures of the last four elections, and he's trying to do something very different in this fifth one. For decades, Amanda, Netanyahu has preferred campaigns based on identity and identitarian politics. In the 90s, he he successfully, in 1996, ran the famous Are You More Israeli or More Jewish campaign, where he tried to paint the left as this shallow Israeli, while the right was this rooted and connected, you know, Jewish identity. It was an effective campaign. It reflected, you know, something partly true about the left-right divide. There's no way to say that anything here without getting someone angry at me, so I'll just say there's a wonderful, very readable book about about Israeli identity and that divide between Jewish and Israeli by Shmuel Rosner and Camille Fuchs, uh, an important uh, former Israeli journalist and public intellectual. And Camille Fuchs is one of the important pollsters of Israel, political pollsters, called Israeli Judaism. So there is some truth to, to that campaign. But what was powerful about that campaign was the sense that he was rallying around a, a Jewishness as an identity rather than talking about um, any kind of policy changes. Since 2015, it's Netanyahu has had a very close alliance with the ultra-Orthodox Haredi parties, 
Shas and United Torah Judaism, which only increased that reliance on identity as as the as the root of his campaign to the point that Likud since 2015 has essentially stopped talking about issues. Um, it stopped uh, even publishing a platform uh, after after 2015. Uh, campaign officials basically said at the time that a party platform was a waste of time at best. Nobody was convinced to vote for a party because of its platform. Uh, and uh, it was unnecessary ammunition for the opposition at worst, right? Because anything you write in that platform that you then fail to fulfill becomes the next party's potential campaign. But over the past four races, we discovered that this uh, traditional way of campaigning for Netanyahu on identity has a glass ceiling and a very, very uh, powerful glass ceiling that he's been unable to break. Over the course of four races that we've had in three years, the votes were stacked very differently. We had uh, the blue and white alliance of the center and left, uh, and then that broke apart. And then um, Netanyahu faced an opposition that was very fractured. We had Arab parties run in April 2019 um, separate, and then in September 2019 as a unified list, and then in March 2020 as a unified list, and then in March 2021 as several separate lists again, and so or two separate lists. And so we've had the electorate itself divide in different ways. Turnout has gone up, turnout has gone down. And no matter how the details of the election, no matter no matter what different parties did or how the electorate was divided up party-wise, Netanyahu couldn't win. Netanyahu's path to power was blocked. Each time he failed, you would hear, you know, people in my profession would hear uh, veteran campaign strategists muttering to each other uh, a very simple point that Netanyahu, as far as anyone can remember, as far as I know, uh, has never won a majority on polls that test fitness for office. In other words, when you ask people who's the most fit for office, Netanyahu consistently over the last 10 years enjoys a plurality, but never an actual majority, at least never when he campaigns on identity. Okay, uh, you mentioned this earlier, but what happened specifically in these past uh, four elections finally saw Netanyahu step down from the premiership. That was a remarkable turning point for Israeli politics. What happened specifically there? Right. So that's that's a, you're talking about election number four. Election number four, March of 2021. In that election, Netanyahu should have won. And what do I mean by should have won? The Arab parties were divided and Arab turnout dropped by something like 200,000 votes out of about 600,000 by by more than a third. Arab turnout, of course, generally doesn't support Netanyahu or even dramatically doesn't support Netanyahu. He'd broken up the blue and white alliance of Gantz and Lapid. It was his race to lose. It was his race in every way, and everyone expected him to finally clinch it. And then he didn't. And when you look at the voting numbers, why he couldn't win, even in those ideal conditions of his opponents losing 200,000 votes just in the Arab parties and, and, and in the center-left as well dropping, you found 27% of Likud voters evaporated. And not in large cities, but in the towns of the south, in the, in the working-class Mizrahi regions of Israel that are Likud's base. Just as triumph seemed to be within his grasp, he suddenly found himself abandoned by people from his own base, people who have for decades identified with Likud. And when you talk to Likud voters in those towns, you heard that they're exhausted with the elections, and also that they're for some of them, that they're a little bit angry with him, a little bit disgusted. Not about the corruption trial, which has already been 10 years baked into the numbers, but about his treatment of guns, about how Likud's campaigns over the last four campaigns have been about Netanyahu, and not about their problems, not about rising cost of living, not about rising cost of housing, not about all the troubles of their lives. 
And so between Netanyahu's mistreatment of Gantz, his refusal to step aside for another right-wing leader who could have formed a coalition, a campaign that centered on him, again, rising housing costs, all those things came together. And so for four elections, he talked about the enemy, the left, the Arabs, his own voters started started fading away. And that created the new Netanyahu. The Netanyahu we see today, a Netanyahu uh, who I think is trying to, has essentially built a whole new kind of Likud campaign that we haven't seen since the 90s. Okay, so lessons were learned, essentially. What is different now? What is he proposing that is different, so different from all these other different campaigns? He has thought over the last four elections that what he needs is to mobilize the base, to bring turnout in those towns where Likud is strong, where Likud is 50 or 70 or whatever percent of the vote. And he discovered that that's not enough. It's not enough to mobilize the base. And and campaigns that are committed to, you know, manufacturing enemies and 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 creating, you know, this kind of populism that would that would that would mobilize the base and actually turned people off. And so now we have a new campaign, a campaign about winning back the exhausted and the frustrated, those voters who are actually frustrated with him. Um, we have suddenly seen activists, the most, the loudest and angriest and most aggressive activists that have been in the streets screaming, uh, you know, for Netanyahu, uh, shunted aside. Uh, famously, uh, at the end of September, Rami Ben Yehuda, an activist who is uh, famous as being a very aggressive protester, who was often in violent altercations with left-wing activists, um, was pushed out of the campaign. And then it leaked to the press that he was actually pushed out of the campaign on the order of Netanyahu himself. And over the last, I would say, month, we've seen a whole series of videos by Netanyahu that are absolutely fascinating, because they're not about Netanyahu. They're about the cost of supermarket goods. They're about the cost of housing. They're about his plan to uh, expand uh, state education funding. Right now, uh, state uh, you know um, daycare and and preschool is 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 funded from age three. He wants to push it down for to to be from zero. Um, he's spoken about traffic congestion. We now have a Likud campaign that is expressing openly strong opinions about traffic congestion, which is not what Likud has been talking about for the last fifteen years. In other words, Netanyahu, in election number five, got the message. And it was a slap in the face from his base. He lost an election that on paper he should have won uh, because he was no longer talking to the problems that his own voters really experience and, and worry about. And so he's no longer campaigning on his trial. He's no longer campaigning on his grudges, on the great enemies that we always face at every turn, on ideological pet peeves. He's now running on a simple message. And that message is, I am not focused on myself. I am focused on you, the people, you, the voters. Um, the past year in opposition has cost Netanyahu a huge amount. Um, his coalition held strong, held firm. The ultra-Orthodox went with him to the opposition. But there are signs that it's weakening. We've had, we've written about this at the Times of Israel. We've seen several internal polls of ultra-Orthodox parties where they ask their own uh, voters, if Netanyahu fails to clinch it a fifth time, do we leave uh, Netanyahu and join a coalition, even if it's led by another right-wing leader or by even the left? And uh, ultra-Orthodox voters now say, a majority now say, that we don't stick by Netanyahu if it means going to a sixth election. Um, staying in the opposition costs the ultra-Orthodox community hundreds of millions of shekels, uh, even billions, to their yeshivas, to their charities, to their institutions, uh, and they want back into government. Um, so a year in the opposition has 
maybe, potentially, made this Netanyahu's very last race. He can't afford to not clinch it this time. At the same time, being more than a year in opposition has given him a whole nother kind of campaign that he didn't have as an option while he was in government. It's very hard to mount a campaign that promises to tackle the cost of living when you're the sitting prime minister for 12 years, right? But you're you're basically reminding voters that you were the one who oversaw a soaring increase in their supermarket bills without doing much about it. So now, after he's in the opposition for over a year, Netanyahu can finally tell people that he's running against government in action, government, you know, neglect, without talking about himself. So the loss, the, the being kicked out of power, produced for him a possibility of running a much more moderate campaign that he can hope will bring back the people turned off by the more populist campaigns that we saw in elections one through four. We'll take a short break now. Hi, this is Sigal from Jerusalem. Thanks for the wonderful podcast series. I was wondering why we no longer vote separately for the party and the prime minister. What's up with that? Do you too have a burning question ahead of the November 1st Israeli elections? Send us a voice memo and our Times of Israel political analysts will answer it in a future Paralyzed Nation episode. Please include your name and your location, and of course your question, and email your voice memo to podcast at timesofisrael.com. That's podcast at timesofisrael.com. Hope to hear from you. And we're back. Okay, so that's Netanyahu, the master strategist. Let's hear about current Prime Minister Yair Lapid, the head of Yeshatid. So he's well known as a master wordsmith and a great speaker, but is he the cutthroat strategist he needs to be to actually win? Lapid is, in a sense, the tragic figure of this election. His camp, his block, straddles the widest political divides, and it's collapsing. And what do I mean by his camp is collapsing? The Arab parties, Balad, consistently uh, is polling below the threshold. It's quite likely not to make it in. Uh, the other two parties, Ram and Khadash, are both hovering close to the threshold. Now, those parties, you know, probably won't end up supporting Lapid openly. Balad would never have. Ram would, uh, as a coalition member. Khadash might have found grudging ways to do so, you know, unofficially. But the collapse of these parties below the threshold means that the votes would be redistributed in ways that give roughly half of their total weight to the Netanyahu camp. Um, the fact that the Arab parties broke up is going to give Netanyahu a massive boost on election day, and that's a huge problem, obviously, for Lapid. But even parties closer to Lapid politically, the Zionist left, Meretz, Labour, um, are themselves staring at the threshold from up close. They refuse to unite, even you know, despite enormous pressure from the activist base. Um, and now they're both uh, within within you know sight of of disappearing. So Lapid has this very simple problem because so much of his camp is divided and splintered up into parties that hover right at the threshold. He has one clear and awful uh, problem, and that problem is that. He has to find a way to campaign passionately and effectively against Netanyahu and against a very conservative government that Netanyahu plans to found without drawing so many voters from other left-wing parties, parties hovering at the threshold, that he actually knocks them over 
uh, you know, over the threshold and and makes them and kicks them out of the next Knesset. In other words, he has to find a way to run a successful campaign without cannibalizing his own camp. It's a very very delicate needle to thread, um, and it partly explains why his campaign, which in the past has been very loud, very organized, very competent, he has this reputation as an excellent campaigner. Um, this time is really low key. Um, to the point where there's been some criticism in the center-left that it's non-existent. He doesn't seem yet to have figured out how you thread that needle, how you strengthen Yeshatid, mount a serious campaign against Likud, become the clear alternative to Netanyahu to the point where you draw voters without cannibalizing the small parties he needs to actually keep Netanyahu out of office. Ironically, one of the more interesting directions that his campaign has has launched is an outreach program uh, to the Arab community. They've actually launched a serious campaign to the Arabs. It's not clear if it'll succeed or if it'll be serious on the ground, but, but they think of it as something that's very important um, to try and appeal to Arab voters who feel, you know, um, disappointed and abandoned by the splintered Arab parties, uh, and try maybe even to draw them to Yeshatid itself, and just not to lose so many by ballots falling over the threshold, etc. Do you think that by being in the caretaker primarship, it gives them any advantage? I think he thinks so. Uh, he's in. It, it, you know, we saw this with Bennett. Uh, we saw this with Netanyahu in 1996, not that we should all remember, but um, your first round as prime minister is an incredibly complicated and difficult thing. It's 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 constant distractions. It's extremely hard to be prime minister, and it's extremely hard to be prime minister while running an election campaign. And so partly Lapid doesn't have a full-fledged, loud, and, 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 and clear election campaign just because he's trying to be prime minister at the same time. And dramatic things are happening right now with the Biden administration and Iran, and he was just in... Uh, 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 Paris, and, and and he's got all these things that he has to do as prime minister uh, and has to think about. Um, and, and so that has certainly hurt the campaign. At the same time, that's the one thing he can really campaign on that that doesn't make him worried for the future of his of his camp generally that won't cannibalize the rest of his camp and he's putting out a lot a lot of you know photo ops and press releases uh, about his work as prime minister to try and position himself for the center left or for even the hawkish center people who might consider voting Benny Gantz uh, as a a someone they can already imagine as prime minister because look here he is functioning as one doing so successfully so he he thinks that um, being prime minister is, is is, a, is healthy, is good, is a strong uh, uh, plank of his campaign, um, but but it's not a campaign strategy. And a campaign strategy still eludes him because of this problem. Okay. Now, Defense Minister Benny Gantz was once the great new hope for centrist voters, but he then teamed up with Netanyahu, leaving many Israelis feeling betrayed because a vote for Gantz essentially turned into a vote for Netanyahu. Do you think he's recovered from that? No. I don't think he's recovered from that. Um, when Gantz, uh, when you poll Gantz now, you see, you know, he led a 30 and 33 seat, uh, essentially coalition alliance uh, against Netanyahu in three elections. Uh, and now he polls at a third of that. And, and, and I think there is a huge, he also has a very hard time now negotiating. In other words, he will, he, he can't come to Lapid and suggest, you know, that they run together. Lapid doesn't trust him because he's been, he's been burned before. So I think that uh, Gantz is still suffering from that moment. Um, uh, in 2020 and uh, and still paying for it. 
Okay. At the same time, you are a betting man, it seems like, Khaviv. And I know in the past you've actually predicted wisely that the underdog could become the prime minister. Do you see that happening in this particular case again? I'll tell you what I think Benny Gantz is thinking, without putting my own money on the line <laughs> or reputation. I think Benny Gantz is mounting a campaign where he wants to, he can't win outright, right? He's running way behind Lapid, who's himself running way behind Netanyahu in terms of party size. And Gantz doesn't have a, a, a the same sense of a center-left camp. And Gantz has a hard time convincing people to trust him because he's already gone with Netanyahu in the past. And so Gantz is hoping for something else. If Netanyahu doesn't have 61 seats, if Netanyahu doesn't have his coalition, and the ultra-Orthodox parties tell Netanyahu, we're not going to a sixth election because that leaves us out of government and robbed of, you know, hundreds of millions in, in subsidies to our communities uh, for many, many months and potentially much more than many months. Um, then the ultra-Orthodox and maybe some other parts of the right and the center and the left and maybe even Yair Lapid and maybe even parts of Likud or Likud itself if Netanyahu chooses to retire after failing a fifth time go looking for an agreed-upon option. Now, the center-left could stomach Benny Gantz as prime minister. Not their favorite, not one they'd like. The Yair Lapid certainly doesn't like him after he broke up their alliance two years ago, but imaginable. Much better than Netanyahu and a very conservative government taking power. The ultra-Orthodox not only could agree to Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz is counting on it and mounting a campaign. He has been visiting rabbis, uh, putting out photographs of him being blessed by rabbis in, from the ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, and he has very, very few voters among the ultra-Orthodox community, but it's a message. The message is not to the ultra-Orthodox, but to the political uh, leadership of, of the ultra-Orthodox political factions. The message is, I get you, I see you, we can work together. The message is, if Netanyahu can't do it, you can come to me and we can negotiate something else. So Benny Gantz is counting on, he's nobody's first choice. I mean, presumably, whoever actually votes for his party is, feels he's their first choice. But he's very, very few Israelis' first choice. And he's counting on being everybody's second choice. That is a very smart campaign. And a campaign that if Netanyahu doesn't have 61, might, might just succeed. Stranger things have happened, right? Absolutely. Uh, Naftali Bennett with six or seven seats in the Knesset has become prime minister. So it's not a crazy thing to hope for or, or to strategize for. Okay. Chaviv, thank you. Thanks for listening to Paralyzed Nation. We'll keep bringing you our Times of Israel community members' exclusive episodes, including our post-elections analysis. Special thanks to producer Gilad Brownstein and to Times of Israel community gurus Mick Weinstein and Rena Levin. Don't forget to drop us a line with a voice memo question and we'll include it in future episodes. Please send to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.